The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, here it is, September 10th, 2013, and um, I don't know, have you been uh, seeing much in the media about uh, tomorrow being the anniversary of 9-11? Well, I haven't, uh, not like in past years, it seems, other than perhaps at the 10th anniversary, it seems like we've been uh, celebrating or memorializing or whatever you'd like to call it, notice, taking note of uh, the day less and less, which is really unfortunate and really a sign of our denial, wanting to pretend to ourselves that it never existed, which is kind of ironic since um, right now we're on the threshold perhaps of getting of attacking Syria um, unless I mean I know that there may may be some last minute um, solution that's come out but the point is that um, and maybe in fact that's part of why we're not memorializing uh, 9-11 because it's it's too close to the bone you know it's too uh, the fact that that it is ever-present and ever-present threat is something that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge. Now, as many of my listeners know, many of you know, that um, I've written a book called Coping with Terrorism, Dreams Interrupted. And um, the point of that was when I asked myself after 9-11, what is the biggest contribution that I could uh give to America, at least, if not the world. Actually, ironically, it was, it was published in uh, the U.K. on the first anniversary of their... 9/11, which was 7/7, so it was published in 2006. But um, the the work that I, you know, what I write about really is applicable um, to any country that is threatened with terrorism, which is pretty much uh, pretty much all countries these days. Um, and I'm not, you know, why I'm so upset about how we're in denial. I mean, besides from the obvious that we really need to memorialize and respect and, and uh, the people who did die on that day and all the, the you know, horrendous things that happened. Um, but it's also that the more we're in denial, the less we're going to be able to be prepared for the next attack and for uh, living as we are even before um, future attacks, some of which have barely been uh, avoided. Um, but it, we need to be prepared for not only, not only the impact that 9-11 is still having on us, we need to recognize that, but also we need to be prepared for living every day as we are, like today, <laughs> um, under the ongoing threat of terrorism. 
I mean, 9-11 happened um, many years ago, but, um, but the, the ongoing threat of terrorism is still ever-present, and it is unlikely to disappear in our lifetime. The best we can hope for is to try to keep things at bay uh, and to try to make peace, but this is terrorists are determined, bound and determined to um, take over the West. That has not stopped. And, um, you know, and we are living in a false sense of, with a false sense of security. So, you know, there are people who, um, who want to deny that, uh, that there is an impact and people want, who want to deny that there is an ongoing threat of terrorism. Uh, and then there are also people who have what I've just called, um, just started calling terrorism fatigue, kind of like battle fatigue or like recession fatigue. In other words, um, we've been hearing about it for so long um, since, well, since even before 2001, but for earnest, in earnest, uh, starting in 2001, that um, that we're sick of hearing about it in a way. We're sick of the stress of living under that ongoing threat. And, um, you know, being sick of it, of course, unfortunately doesn't do anything to take away the threat, <laughs> diminish the threat, but um, but that's, that is how a lot of us are feeling. So there's denial and there's terrorism fatigue, and you don't have to choose between one or the other. You could be suffering from both. Um, one of the things that is part of um, terrorism uh, the denial is uh, the denial of, of the impact of 9-11, an ongoing threat, um, is, that is, is cognitive dissonance, which is a, a psychological term for um, being in two minds. In other words, being um, uh, uh, denying on one hand that there is this problem, and yet at the same time hearing, as we do every day, reports about something that relates to terrorism, whether it's uh, a trial of terrorists or whether it's a terrorist attack that's been stopped, or um, there, there is something every day that you can find in the news about terrorism. I mean, even Syria is essentially we're talking about terrorism um, because of the implications and because of who is fighting there, who part, what part of the battle is about, and all of that. So, so, um, so while we're cognizant on one level because we can't hide from all the news reports, on another level we're in denial, and so that that state of being in these two minds is called cognitive dissonance. In other words, our two states of mind are dissonant with each other, are, are, are in conflict with each other. And then, as I was saying, there's also now this terrorism fatigue, which is wearing us down. Um, and what we, what, why I try to get people to be aware of these things is because we need to be uh, preparing, and I, I said this actually, I, well, I wrote about this and I've said, talked about this uh, even before the Boston Marathon, uh, which also proves that not all attempts have been aborted. Um, but I, I talk about how we need to prepare like we're in a marathon, uh, meaning that in a general sense, and of course I go into a lot of details, but in a general sense, you know, if you were preparing for a running marathon, you would be preparing on both a physical level, getting yourself stronger physically, and also getting yourself stronger psychologically, psyched up for running in this marathon. 
And that is what we need to do now. We need to be, you know, all the things um, that you know that you should be doing that you're probably not doing, or at least not all of the things or many of the things, um, like taking vitamins every day, eating healthy, being a healthy weight, uh, getting exercise every day, and so on, so getting enough sleep, um, you know, part of kind of a, uh, an unfortunate problem that because of all the things going on in the world, um, we're having more trouble, more Americans are having more trouble sleeping than ever. And so, you know, it's nice to say get eight hours of sleep, and yet it's become harder because of the very thing that we're, that we're trying to get stronger for, this, this ongoing threat of terrorism. But there are different ways that you can do that. I write about that. I talk about that. I'm not going to spend the whole hour talking about this today. I just wanted to introduce this. I have a guest. We're going to talk about uh, one of the one of the um, uh, impacts, one of the things that has been impacted by by terrorism. But let me just finish this, which is that you know, even though so so it's it's preparing for a marathon physically and psychologically, and psychologically in a general sense. Again, I talk about. Or write about many specifics, but in a general sense, psychologically, what we're doing is trying to um, use all kinds of anti-stress techniques. Uh, for example, I was just talking about sleeping. So, like one thing would be not to watch the news at night right before you go to sleep, because um, because that will be bringing up things that will make you feel very anxious and make it harder for you to sleep. Um, and of course, there are there are many other things that you can do to. Um, to reduce stress, uh, one of the things that I that I talk about is um, you know that that you might not be thinking about um, is adopting a pet, because when people feel like they are taking care of a pet, I mean not only is a pet affectionate and you know warm and loves you no matter how horrible you are, but um, but taking care of a pet makes you feel as though you can take care of yourself. So these are just I'm just kind of giving you some highlights um, and examples. But the, the gist of it is that we need to be, every one of us on a daily level, needs to be preparing for this marathon, the marathon of living for the rest of our life under this ongoing threat of terrorism. And hopefully it will remain a threat um, and not have more attacks like 9-11, like the Boston Marathon, like, um, like the London 7-7 attack, and, and so on. Spain, I mean, you know, there have been attacks all over. So what you know I, I we although we don't want to admit it um this memory of 911 and the ongoing threat is affecting us in every aspect of our lives family life love life work life health uh technology for example health the obesity epidemic um there's no question but that the obesity de- ob- epidemic which started after or became an epidemic after 911 um, is related to us wanting comfort food, us still feeling as though we need to be comforted um, for because of the of what happened to us in 9/11 and because of this ongoing threat. So we're eating, <laughs> we're eating particularly comfort foods, you know, pizza, chocolate, chocolate ice cream, any kind of ice cream, cake, things, particularly things that we used to eat as children when our parents wanted to comfort us or, or things that we associate with happiness, like cake, like birthday cake, um, you know, now cupcakes. Why do you think cupcakes are so popular? It's a, it's, we're nostalgic for those kinds of things. Um, technology. 
um, why, you know, we're, we're escaping in, into our iPhones and so on instead of having human-to-human communication as part of this uh, isolation and escape from reality of life. Everybody sits there at a at a restaurant table, for example, and is, you know, relating to their iPhones and not to the people that they're eating with. I mean, it, it's, it's really gotten, that's gotten out of control as well. So my guest, um, with my guest, we're going to be talking about uh, some other, something else that you don't necessarily uh, relate to terrorism, but um, it's our culture of greed, which um, has impacted, amongst many other things, um, how what is happening with our parents um, and, or, and grandparents' um, estates? What, why, are, why is there, and there definitely is, I can tell you as an expert witness, there is definitely an increase in cases, lawsuits, brought against siblings and um, other people in, who are involved in a fight over their parents' or grandparents' assets. Even when they're, you know, I'm not talking about, uh, not talking about multimillionaires necessarily. Even people with relatively modest estates are being fought over um, by, usually, typically by siblings, but by often by other people who have befriended or become caretakers of, um, somehow have insinuated themselves into these older people's lives with the express um, idea purpose of of getting a part of their assets when they die and um and so finances have been impacted by terrorism as well Uh, the recession for example part of that is due to um the decreased productivity of americans why because amongst the symptoms that we're having from what I call terrorist stress syndrome is um, a loss of attention and an inability to, to focus. Um, also, we're depressed, we're anxious, we're, having, we're kept awake at night, we're having physical ailments, you know, common things as well as uh, really serious ailments, but common things like headaches and stomach aches and all kinds of things that distract us from being productive workers. And... Um, and our growing culture of greed comes from um, there's this sense that because there is this this ongoing threat that our lives that we have to live for today that um, since there you know whether we're in denial or terrorism fatigue or whatever there's this general gnawing sense that um, that we need to live for today that tomorrow may not be as long as we once thought it was. And that impacts our, our impacts all of these things that I was mentioning, our family life, our love life, and so on. But it also impacts our our greed, our um, incessant greedy greediness, our incessant drive to get get things for ourselves. Me, me, me. And that's what we'll be talking about with my guest when we come back. Her name is Catherine Steele, and she's the author of Trust Me: Every Baby Boomer's Nightmare. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about terrorism fatigue and our culture of greed. Uh, Our live-for-today mentality is impacting everything, from our love life to our finances to how we uh, act towards one another. We've become more ruthless um, in our dealings, in our, you know, the way we treat our friends, Um, and in how we treat our family members and, um, and particularly in this new, well, it's not really new, but this growing problem of, um, of inheritance. And my guest today, Catherine Steele, has just written a book, which is a um, hard one. <laughs> it's actually a true story. The names have been <laughs> the names and and uh descriptions have been barely disguised um, so that she can help people benefit from her her nightmare uh the book is called trust me every baby boomer's nightmare and it's not just for baby boomers it's really um it's really you know something that uh can that all of us can can learn from that you're not you're not too long you're not too young to start thinking about this regardless of how old your parents or grandparents are so Catherine, welcome to the show thank you dr carolyn thank you for having me well why don't we why don't you start with why it is that you wrote this book i mean this is the first book right that you've ever written yeah. And you're, I read it. It was yes, it is a one-time, you can't put it down kind of book. <laughs> um, I tried to do it in a humorous fashion, but <laughs> yes, yes. It, I mean, it's not what people expect. I think we need to to talk about that. Um, you know, I think people's eyes tend to glaze over, myself included, hearing about like financial things like trusts and you know, mm-hmm. well, certainly wills, and nobody wants to think about death. Right. So. Um, well, so, I wrote the book, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I was going through uh, trust nightmares myself, and what happened was I was looking on the Internet, and this all started about five years ago. I was looking on the Internet for information, and it was really hard to find, and I wanted something that I could get through, and the only thing that was available at that time was written by lawyers. And it just was very dry, hard to get through, and I wasn't getting personal answers to information. So I was like, God, if there was only a book that I could read so I could know what to do. 
And what happened was I, as I kept going through, I started a little diary. And then from there, I was like keeping notes all the time of my nightmare. And I just decided this last year to write a book because I was like, you know, so many people are going through this. Every party I went to, I'd hear people complaining about their siblings or what happened to them. And I just started collecting stories and use my story as well and put together a book on it so that readers, a layman, could get the information. And I just wanted to help people not go through the nightmares I went through. So I wrote this book pointing out red flags and some solutions as well. So that's kind of how I came about writing the book. So why don't you tell us about your story? Well, my personal story was... um, my family trust, my brother um, had not worked in 15 years, and he was being supported by my father. And I didn't really realize my father had dementia at the time until I got an email from my brother saying, Dad didn't pay my mortgage. And I was like, what is going on? I don't understand. And it turns out my dad had been paying my brother's mortgage for 15 years and supporting him because my brother was kind of a dysfunctional alcoholic, and he just couldn't face going to work. So what happened was I was very upset about it, and I tried to communicate with my dad about it. And at that point, he wasn't thinking as clearly and wasn't even the same person I grew up with. So um, I started battling with my brother, and it was more than just that. We had a family... um, trust attorney who had written himself on the trust and he was kind of in collusion with my brother and they were giving themselves money whenever they needed it even though my dad needed to resign as trustee the lawyer didn't allow him to do that so uh, to make a long story short, I tried every avenue. I tried the legal approach, and then I tried going through adult protective services because um, my funds were limited, and I couldn't go on with the lawyer I was hiring. And it, it, it stated in the book, it just goes through every nightmare I went through. But um, what happened was I ended up having to get a lawyer, and his lawyer and my lawyer would start communicating and then when my dad passed on it was a matter of uh all that was left in the trust was a home and we ended up selling that as well but it was a major battle to go through so i do you want more details on that yes yes oh give us some anecdotes like you know some of the examples i mean your book is really it's it's funny and i mean it it was horrible to go through but some of the stories are unbelievable like for example your the aunt your aunt who moved into your father's oh yeah okay so i i kind of break it down into different chapters but um my aunt my aunt Didi, she's uh she was my mother's sister and it's amazing how when people are vulnerable, everybody smells the money. And what happened with my aunt was when my mother died, my aunt came in and she decided to start taking care of my father but also have a quasi-relationship with him. And so he would take her on vacations and she was like, perform- she pretended she, she started to become my mother. She would wear her clothes, her jewelry, and uh, even at the funeral she was wearing my mother's jumpsuit, pink velour jumpsuit with all of her jewelry, and she thought she was the mother at that point, which she never was married, so she 
had some issues herself. But um, yeah, the was, idea of this one—I mean, it was—it it was really—I um, mean, it was really spooky in a way. I mean, here this woman moves in; she starts wearing all your mother's clothes and um, and jewelry and and acting like um, like the wife. Mother. Well, yeah. And, yeah. Um, which you know, I mean, it's one thing, I guess, if that was if that was sort of if if that was acknowledged, you know, if they had acknowledged that they were having a relationship, yes, it's a little strange to move in on your on your deceased sister's husband, but you know, if they could have fallen in love, and yeah, I mean, I could understand that, but this woman was such a fire and brimstone type woman, very everything good and bad, and and. You know, my husband and I were living together for many years before we got married, and she was thought that was evil and all that kind of stuff. So for her to do that was very strange to uh-huh. me to begin with. It didn't make much sense. But, um, you know, he would take her on. She, she didn't have that much money, and he would take her on vacations, and he gave her a lot of the jewelry that was supposed to go to my daughter and all the grandkids. And... She kind of stepped into his role, even to the extent where when we had put the house for sale, she was upset that we fired her friends that were the realtors. And she said, how could you do that without confronting, without discussing this with me? And basically I said, excuse me, there was nothing left in the will for you, and really this is not your business. And she got very insulted, and <laughs> there was a big falling out on that issue. Well, but, also, um, I mean, just, just to go back... Um, the idea of her wearing a pink velour, your mother's pink velour jumpsuit to a funeral, wearing anybody's pink velour jumpsuit to a funeral <laughs> with their uh, jewelry, um, you know, it, it, you could almost see it. I see it as a scene in a movie. You know, it's, it's I, that, it's that totally kind of agree. unbelievable. Um, but, so, I mean, it does speak to their some, some poor judgment at the very least. But, I mean, it must have been a very uncomfortable uh, upsetting feeling for you seeing this woman replace or try to replace your mother in all ways. It was completely surreal. As a matter of fact, I didn't even notice it at the funeral until my daughter nudged me and she said, look, she's wearing grandma's jumpsuit. And I went, oh, my God. And first of all, who goes to a funeral in a pink velour jumpsuit? I was like, oh, my God. But it was very cartoonish. My brother was dressed like in a bowling shirt, and his kids looked like they were going to go to the beach. It wasn't really funeral attire. And it was just like... It was so strange, and it was also interesting because my father had a girlfriend at the motion picture home as well. So it was like these two women giving each other evil eyes across the aisles, which was it was it was almost like watching some movie. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, uh, what was that one um, where the guy dies? Oh, funeral. I forgot the name of it, but there was a movie made with the little midget. Death and a funeral, or something. I don't remember. But yeah. um, did your father? He didn't. It's surprising that your father didn't leave. I mean, he he gave her things, I guess, when he was alive, like the jewelry. But he it's did. surprising that he didn't leave her anything. Yeah, I was pretty surprised too. He basically it was really funny. He gave my her my mom's mink coat, some jewelry, and then at the at the end of his life, and she was shocked as well. She got nothing. She really. But you know he. At the end, I don't know how much, uh, how coherent he was and how aware he was, but he basically stuck to the will he had, or the trust he had written, 
And she was never in the trust, so uh-huh. I think she was very disappointed as well because she uh-huh. felt like she had done yeah. a lot of time taking that, care of him. That was from, yes, that was from yeah. before. Well, when we come back, we'll talk about um, the issues, some of the issues of determining um, whether the person was a sound mind and, and so on when, they, when these issues of contesting the will come into play. Um, but we need to take another break. My sure. guest is Catherine Steele. Her book is called Trust Me, Every Baby Boomer's Nightmare. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into Around the World in a Glass, presented by Sportsman's. We're a show all about wine, spirits, and other beverages. Your host, Kimber Stonehouse, is a professional expert and wine enthusiast. Each week, we'll focus on a different region of the world, discuss wines and other beverages, talk about some of the top restaurants in the region, and what to pair with which wine. Just listening could make you almost an expert. Around the World in a Glass is heard live every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about terrorism fatigue and our culture of greed and about how um, the ongoing threat of terrorism has made us unconsciously for some of us and unconsciously for others adopt a live-for-today mentality. And when you live for today, all you're thinking about is what will give me pleasure today. You know, it's, it's, it's really kind of a primitive instinct. It's, you know, what do I want to eat? What do I want to, well, buy in America? It's what a materialism. And it has increased um, our greediness. And this, of course has spilled over not only into our dealings with each other um, being less on the up and up, but also um, our being vultures um, and wanting to, uh, since, since this generation is, or, or as each generation has come on, I mean, the older generations used to save more. And with each next generation, since we don't save as much and we... Uh, we live on credit more than the only, when we look around for where we're going to find some money, 
we are tending more and more to look earlier at our parents, um, what they have, their assets, whether it's, you know, not, whether it's rather modest assets or whether it's, you know, our parents are more wealthy. Um, it doesn't matter. It's, it's gotten to the point of just, you know, fighting over scraps even. My guest today, who has undergone a nightmare of her own with her uh, father um, and uh, having to battle her, her brother and, and neighbors and all kinds of people who became vultures, smelling uh, that he was going to soon be dying, um, she is trying to help everybody else to not have to go through what she went through. And she has put her experiences um, in a very... Uh, reader-friendly version, funny. Uh, it would be funny if it were not that this was all true, um, that uh, her book is called Trust Me, Every Baby Boomer's Nightmare. So um, before the break, Catherine was telling us some stories. And um, before we get into testamentary capacity and how you determine whether someone is a sound mind or having undue influence, which is what her brother was uh, creating over her father, uh, and her and her father's lawyer, for that matter, and the neighbors who became realtors and a bunch of people. Um, but before we get into that, I, I asked her to tell us some more anecdotes that, um, and some of these relate to other people who uh, real stories, similarly, um, of nightmares like this. So, Catherine, tell us tell us another one. Yeah, um, another one of my friends shared her story with me in the book, and her brother Dwayne was out of work, had no money, and you see this as a real common theme. They move back into the parents' house because the parents need help and they need to be taken care of, and the other brothers and sisters are too busy going on with their lives, but since they have no money, they need a place to live. So Dwayne was a character who decided to move in with his family and take care of his mother. And his mother uh, needed a car and to go to the doctor, so Dwayne decided to buy a Rolls Royce because Mom needed a car. And then Mom needed a TV set to watch television, so he bought her a big screen TV. And then again, he felt his mom needed a boat for you know, entertainment, so he bought himself a boat. Well, at the end of the story, Dwayne liquidated the whole family's trust. Meanwhile, all the brothers and sisters are too busy doing their lives to know what's going on. And at the funeral, Dwayne goes, there's no money for the funeral. He had mortgaged out the house to pay for all of these goodies. And this is a real common theme. I see it happening quite a bit. So uh, the sad story is Dwayne ended up dying penniless in Las Vegas. So that was the end of Dwayne. And then I quote another story where um, some other friends of mine had a, um, it was a son whose parents both had dementia. And because he lived on the West Coast and his family lived on the East Coast, he had a niece that offered to help take care of his parents, and he would give her a salary. And he went, well, this is a really cool kid. I think that's great. You know, and so he set it up and gave her a credit card because his parents really couldn't do much. They sat at home. They watched TV. And he was like, okay, she would go to the market, buy things for them, take them to doctor's appointments, and do whatever. And he was like, oh, this is working out great because he didn't have to fly back and forth to um, – back east. So what happens is one day he gets a bill from the credit card that says $30,000. And he's like, what? I don't understand. This, this can't be. My parents can't even function. They sit in Barca loungers watching TV. I don't get it. So he calls up the credit card company. He says, there must be some mistake. And they said, no, there's charges on stereos, leather coats, 
uh, car repair bills, all sorts of bills. And he goes, I don't understand. Cancel this credit card. So his niece calls up the following week and says, hey, I went to go buy food and they canceled my credit card. And he said, yes, yeah, some jerk started spending all this money buying things and I canceled the card. Well, there was dead silence on the other end. And he was like, hello, are you still there? And she didn't answer. And it turns out that her and her boyfriend had started spend, gone on a spending spree with the credit card. So what happened was he ended up calling the police and having them arrested. And the whole family hated him for that. But it was like, he was like, well, she goes, you just didn't give me enough money. Why should I do this for free? And there becomes, people seem to rewrite history when they steal and and justify their behavior. And that's what she was doing. So those are a few more examples of some nice relatives. <laughs> I could keep going on if you'd like. but Well, yeah, and I think the important thing is that at the beginning, the niece represented what she was going to do as more of like a favor that because she loved them, yeah. that she was going to you know do this out of the goodness of her heart. There was no question of, um, you know, be, getting... Uh, provided with these lavish shopping trips and things like that it was more like i mean it was it, when you explained it it was more like, in the book it's it's like um uh, she did that, it to that, help her her uncle out and she was she was posing as a good samaritan yeah and then she really turned on him i think she got resentful as she started taking care of them realizing this is a lot of work <laughs> and she didn't like it so she decided she was entitled to more and I don't think he offered more, but that's pretty much, you know, she posed as one thing and then turned out to be something else. Yes, yes. Which was really pretty crazy. And I think when a family member has to call the police on somebody, it's really upsetting to them and it's upsetting to everybody else involved. He didn't want to do it, but he asked her to return the stuff. Mm. And she refused. She said, mm. there is no way I'm returning. I deserve it. And in my book, there's a chapter on I deserve everything. It's that whole entitlement issue of I'm doing this, I deserve everything. So Yes, and of course, you know, um, a lot of it has to do with, um, like, in wills, not so much in stealing things or, or, but, well, I mean, that too, but it's more actually in regard to a will where, um, where each child wants to feel like uh, they take whatever their parent left them in their will as an indication of how much the parent loved them. Yeah. So, if so, you know, aside from like even even children who wouldn't be that ruthless, for example, um, even like just the average. Well, the average is getting more ruthless, but I mean, even even if there isn't any. Um, severe bickering it's just that that people are so disappointed because they want to prove when a parent dies they want some kind of proof that their parent loved them more that they were the favorite and when the par- even when a parent divides things equally and certainly when a parent gives one sibling more than the other there's the it's not just about um the money uh, although more and more with the recession and everything that's that's a big part of it but yeah. it's also about um, wanting to show whoever is going to f- 
find out about the will and and you know that that or or even it doesn't even have to be like a certain amount of money it's also who gets the mother's um wedding ring or engagement ring or some prized possessions it's to show that that parent really loved them more than the other siblings Right, it's their last act. It's their, it's the parents, the child perceives it as the last act of love, their last statement about how they feel about that person. And I think in a lot of times it, the child is so upset that they it's their parents' final statement to them. You're only worth an old couch or you're worth a, a ring. And, I, you know, you notice this a lot, and I, money is just an extension of that act of love. Right. how much they're left in a trust. And right. I think that's where all the fighting really comes out and the ugliness because you'll see a lot of family members come in for the kill. They'll just sit there and wait, and then all of a sudden, in my brother's case, he came in the last four years. He couldn't stand my father, but he was the most devoted son the last four years. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty common. You'll see that a lot. Or neighbors that'll do that. Good, Do good neighbors that... You know, hey, how's it going? Let me help you and then befriend you because the parents' uh, children never visit. So they become the best friends and then sign themselves on to their house. That's pretty common, too. Or caretakers. Anybody that gives a parent that kind of attention, they'll start bonding with them instead of their kids if their kids are out of sight. Yes, which, of course, you know, one of the, one of the uh, uh, things, suggestions, is um, that, that children shouldn't, um, neglect. Well, should, children shouldn't neglect their parents for many reasons, but right. <laughs> but certainly this is <laughs> one of really those. sad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you would hopefully not neglect your parent because you love them and because you want their last days to be comfortable. But right. there's also this this other issue. Um, talk about you know one of the things that you recommend. Sort of the the um, one of the at the end of the book in particular, you talk about. Um, a videotape that you recommend right. that people do all along. I want to make sure that we get to that, so let's talk about okay. that now. Okay. One thing I want to say, and I say it through the book a lot, it's so important for your family to have family meetings and gather themselves together and talk about and air their grievances. A friend of mine down the block, she was Dutch, and she said her family did that once a month. And that is such a good piece of advice because you can circumvent so many arguments or at the end a nightmare because if your family discuss all their grievances why you gave this son this compared to that son and if the parents tell you why then you're more understanding you understand their you might not like it but you're hearing from them that it wasn't this or that it was because of this and i suggest that it would be very beneficial to start videotaping your parents as they get older to keep a video documentary on them aging to show that they started out one way and if they get dementia or Alzheimer's, it shows a deterioration. So I think along with the will, it's great to have a psychiatrist with um, a group of questions. Ask a parent and videotape them why they did what they did in their will, what they're giving to who, and give every family member a copy of the tape. So there's no discussion or discrepancies at the end when they're dead, like, oh, my God, how come he got all this money and I didn't? Yes. Catherine, I need to stop you here because, unfortunately, we need to take another break. Um, My guest is Catherine Steele. Her book is called Trust Me, Every Baby Boomer's Nightmare. We'll tell you in the next segment where you can get that. 
You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest is Catherine Steele. Her book is Trust Me, Every Baby Boomer's Nightmare. We're talking about terrorism fatigue and our culture of greed. And our culture of greed extends to trying to the, the increasing problem of, of children and grandchildren and neighbors and so on, trying to raid our parents' and grandparents' assets. Um, so w- before the break, you were talking about why it's so important for um, families to videotape their older relatives um, and to, and you were up to the point of where um, you can see testamentary capacity. You can see how um, whether they are competent and whether they're and how vulnerable they are to um, undue influence. So why don't you talk a little about that? Yeah, when you get a will or a trust and it's just paperwork, you have to you have to go almost blindly believing the pa- the uh, parent was of sound mind when they signed this. And there was no problems. But with a video, it really shows everything. And it also gives a chance for a psychiatrist to analyze the tape and see if there were any problems at the time. And we just feel it's we're in the 21st century now, and the police do it, and everybody else is starting to get into videotaping everything. And it's a great way to eliminate any doubts. So I think it's real important that people start videotaping their parents just in general. And it's really great if each family member has a copy of the tape when it's made. It's almost like a video trust. You have the trust written, and then you have a video of the trust as well. And it just eliminates so many problems. And there won't be this whole nightmare of, I get it, you don't get it, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. As as an expert witness um, and a psychiatrist, what... 
the kinds of things when so I am called into cases where, for example, uh, I'm in a case now where two sisters are arguing over uh, their mother's will or trust, and um, one sister is claiming that the other sister uh, provided undue influence, influenced her um, unduly <laughs> to uh, to leave more to her. In fact, the other yeah. sister was left out of the will altogether. So, um, so the things now now actually. In this kind of example, um, the mother is already dead. I mean, by the time right. I was called into the case, she was dead. They're arguing about the will. Of course, it's better in what you're we're talking about. If um, and there have been some cases where I've been called in where the person is getting older. They're not dead yet, and I'm supposed to um, determine whether they're competent uh, or whether they've been unduly influenced, um, whether they're competent to 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 sign a will, to create a will, and some of the things that you want to ask. Um, the person is um, whether they know the scope of their assets, whether they are aware um, and can comprehend all of their assets, whether not just how much money they have in the bank, but whether they have any uh, real estate property or even valuable items, um, just whatever their, it doesn't have to be a super expensive or wealthy kind of um, inheritance. It could be anything, but the person has to be aware, understand the, the uh, breadth of it. And then also they need to understand who these various people are, who they're thinking of leaving things to, their relationship to each of these people, and mm-hmm. to understand um, and to be able to state why they're leaving what they are to each of the people and, uh, and why they're le- maybe leaving somebody out of the will or why they're including mm-hmm. somebody in the will. And you determine um, how rational or reasonable what they're what they how they answer that and how uh, reasonably they answer that and um, then of course there are certain cognitive tests that you give the person just general psychiatric tests that you give anybody when you're trying to assess um, their mental capacity and um, so so you know when when someone is dead already um, then the only thing that a psychiatrist can do is to look at the medical records, and sometimes the person has kept ledgers of um, of, of what they've spent, or you can look at their checkbooks. You have to sort of reconstruct this person's life and decide right. when when it was that they became, if they did become um, incompetent, when was that, and you know which will was it, or when they had included, you know, giving this person what, and like in the case I was just. Uh, uh, mentioning the as this woman got older, she kept leaving one of the sisters out of her will more and more until she wasn't in it at all. So, uh-huh. at what point did she become incompetent, if at all? Mm-hmm. No, I I noticed that I even quote stories where somebody's so incompetent, but they move their hand to sign the paperwork, and they consider that legal. And that's the scary part is, you're, like you said, you don't have anything to go on. You have to put it together when they're dead. So the video is really crucial to keeping things on the up and up and straight and just knowing, you know, as you videotape somebody as they age, you can see their language deteriorating. I could see that with my dad, rather. You can see the language going, uh, lack of words, and his financial abilities really became limited. And he should have been removed from the trust right away when he had tellers at the bank do his checkbooks because he couldn't do it himself. 
so there's all these signs and red flags on when people are losing it. And I think with a video, you can, and even when you gather your family together, you can say, hey, Dad's not doing so good. What should we do, you know? So I think it's the videotapes and gathering the family together that are really important to keeping things um, on an up and up. Yes, and of course, one of the reasons why families don't do that, most families, um, is because because of the taboo of death. No one wants to face um, that that their parents will die. I mean, except for those people who are waiting for their parents to die, wishing that they die sooner so that they can get yeah. their inheritance. But um, but for the most part, you know, if you have a loving relationship with your parent, you don't want them to die, and you don't when it's and and um, talk about denial. You know, you're kind of in denial even even when you do see them deteriorating that they are ultimately going to die. So it's hard to set these meetings up when no one wants to face it. Yeah, yeah, I say in my book, forget the Christmas meeting. This is more important, even though nobody wants to talk about it. It's so important to do. And, you know, especially for, you know, if you love your parents, that is really important. But the ones that don't, we call them the wishers and waiters, they need to know why they're cut out. They need to know what they did. They need to have the parents tell them how they don't approve of it. Because it is the parents' ultimate money and their ultimate decision. But if they're, if they're incompetent and they're swayed by another sibling, that's where the problems start. They, you know, you just, that's why it's, you know, it's, nobody wants to admit that they're going to die. But this is, and also there's family members, like the parents sometimes don't want their kids to know that they're not writing, they're writing them out of the will. Because mm-hmm. they yes. know their kids would abandon them. So that's yes. another issue, too. Yes. They don't want to, they don't, the secrecy is a problem. Yeah. You know, if the parents don't want to share that because they'll go, well, they'll never see me again. But then it's not really right to the kid either. They need to know why the parents are angry at them. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they can fix it. Maybe they can have conversations instead of making a judgment on their kid. Because that certainly happened with my grandparents and my aunt. They made a judgment, and yet they saw her every week and wrote her out of the will. And mm. she never knew why. Mm. So that's a bad one, too. So yeah. Well, I want to make sure that um, you tell people where to go to find the book. Yeah. The book is at Amazon, and you can just type in, trust me, every baby boomer's nightmare, and you can order it there, and then it has a little video that I've made as well. You can view that, and um, it'll link you to, I think it'll link you to my blog. Yes, it'll eventually link you to Yes, it's a little bit in transition here, but... um, it can be purchased at Amazon. Yes, and it is definitely, um, you know, it makes a, a subject that is uncomfortable, death, uh, it makes it, and, and of course the idea that family members would try to um, influence your parents or grandparents to not um, leave you as much as they leave them or not leave you anything. I mean, you know, it's not things that um, that we necessarily want to think about, but this book is really um, very entertaining and and very accurate. Um, true stories, true stories about Catherine. She did really go through this, and true stories about um, people that she uh, knew. Their true stories as well. So um, we're at the end of the show. Um, thank you, Catherine, for sharing all your hard-won lessons. Again, the book is called "Trust Me: Every Baby Boomer's Nightmare." And thank you all for listening. And tomorrow on the anniversary of 9-11, please do something to honor uh, the people who died, uh, light a candle, 
go to a religious service, um, watch whatever news reports there are about it, and, um, and even more importantly, do what I was talking about, which is realize that we are all in a marathon where we have to become physically and psychologically stronger to withstand the, tr- the stress of living with the threat of terrorism every single day. So thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.